Welcome back, Hollywood Life fans. On today's Fit Club, we talk night owls, octogenarian fitness, and more with redefining strength creator Corey Lefkowitz. Stay tuned. You're tuned into Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Tune in right now. Welcome, Fit Clubbers. We are back. I'm your host, Shaka Smith. Joined by my wonderful co-host, Miss Ranella hey, Ferrer. Hey, hey, Loving you, these strobe lights. Right. You may recognize her from E's Revenge Body. And, of course, we have our special guest, Miss Corey Lefkowitz. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. And you may recognize her from her uh, huge YouTube channel, <laughs> Redefining Strength. And, of course, she's got her own gym um, down in Costa Mesa as well. So we got so much to talk about. Your videos, you are dispensing so much information, so I can't wait to kind of get into that. Um, But of course, we have some great stories to get into, too. Yes. Um, So our first story to talk about is fitter bodies make for healthier brains. Um, I think we kind of intuitively know this, but it's nice to have actual science behind it. A study published in Scientific Reports looked at 1,200 people. The average age was 30. They did brain scans, memory tests, sharpness tests, as well as cardiovascular walking tests, and they found that, found that those that were more fit performed even better on the mental test. Um, the science, really? Yeah, the scientists are thinking it might be part of the reduced inflammation that exercise causes that helps the brain do a little bit better. It might be the improved blood flow. Uh, but have you noticed in your own, you know, with yourself and with your clients, that there is that correlation between exercise and mental acuity? Oh, 100%. I mean, think about how hard it is sometimes to learn a movement, right? Just learning a new lift and the mind-body connection it takes, that alone helps you stay young. It helps you stay active, mentally alert. Uh, One of my favorite drills to do, actually, with my 65-year-old clients is the agility ladder. Mm -hmm. So we think of the agility ladder or, like, cone drills for, like, athletes, especially soccer players or football players. But when you have somebody who's 65 who might not have been active coming in. First of all, 65. (laughs) First time somebody's in the gym and they're coming in and they're doing these things and learning those drills takes so much mental focus mm-hmm. but you know they want to rush through it they just want to be like oh right. I want to I want to get my blood pumping I'm like no you have to learn the drills because not only does that improve their lifting their running because we do need that mind body connection to lift more run faster but it does it helps you stay young it helps you stay mentally fresh yeah, and the risk of injury is greater if you're not sharp if you're coming in at 65. Well, right, falls get crazy. more. Yeah. We have more risks of hip fractures and stuff as people get older because they fall because they can't catch themselves. So being able to really recruit the right muscles at the right times is so key. Yeah, did you have a moment um, in the gym when it came to the mind-muscle connection? Cause I know you grew up with an athletic background, but when you kind of switched a little bit more from tennis to like maybe in the gym lifting, did that was there a transition there to get that connection going? So I actually think the biggest connection between those two things or the realization that the mind-body connection was so key was when I got injured. Mm-hmm. Because when I got injured, I was actually lifting more than I'd ever lifted before. I had just yeah. won the Massachusetts Rhode Island State Powerlifting Championship and I was like, "Oh, I'm, I'm a beast, right? I'm <laughs> yeah. lifting all this weight." Wow. And then I get injured yeah. and I literally can't walk because I've injured my hip flexor so bad. Wow. And it, it sort of made me wake up to the fact that even though I was lifting heavy, I wasn't right. using the right muscles. Mm-hmm. So that sort of spurred me on to realize that I needed to focus on the mind-body connection. And then I started researching it more, too. And I don't know if you know, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, most people yeah. call him, right? Yeah. right? Even if you're not into Especially uh, on this show, yeah. 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 And 
and it's one of those things that he would always talk about the mind body connection and being yeah. inside the bicep as you would do it. I have a really bad Arnold Schwarzenegger. But he would always talk about being inside the muscle, and they've actually yeah. done studies now that have shown that you can improve muscle hypertrophy so you can gain more muscle by actually thinking about the muscle working as you do it. Yeah. So not only lifting more weight, but actually being like, okay, I'm doing the bicep curl, I'm yeah. focusing on that muscle. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I remember a study showed why people enjoy watching sports is that mentally they go through the same sort of emotions that the players go through because they're envisioning themselves doing the same thing. And a lot of times you can get some of the same uh, from the envisioning, the visualization, you get some of the benefits right. of the actual work. <laughs> That's true. I've been envisioning myself to have a six-pack. It still hasn't happened yet. And we'll keep envisioning that, Corey. But it's probably getting you into the gym more. Because it, you're yeah. thinking about That's it. True. It's getting you motivated. It's all that like mental stuff that we don't really consider like that helps us get active, stay active. It's right. like when you know you did one good thing for yourself, right. how much more likely are you to do more? Yeah, right? When you yeah. eat well, you want to go to the gym. You go to the gym, you're like, well, now I have to eat well because I went to the gym. Right. I don't and want all that work to be yeah, a smoothie so. after. I was like, I'm exactly. not messing that up. That's true. Yeah. That is true. So you're thinking about that six pack and you're getting to the gym more frequently. Right. So it's, it's, working. Getting, it's working. Yeah, it's working. <laughs> now, you talked about a 65 year old coming in, but how about an 80 year old? So the question is is 80 too late to begin working out? Uh, and a, uh, a study published. That's a good the, question. Right? Like, you're 80 years old. But we, see, we have a lot of people living longer. Nancy Pelosi is 79. The president's in his 70s. You know, politics aside, all right. these people that are running the country are quite old. So. We know that you're going to live to that age. Right. What can we do? Um, or can we do anything? And in the Journal of uh, Frontiers in Physiology uh, came out, and they showed that men in their 70s and 80s who had never had a, a exercise regimen were able to build muscle at the same rate as master athletes. Master athletes were people in the same age who had always had an exercise regimen and were still competing at the top level in their sport. So that, to me, was mind-blowing because intrinsically we kind of think, how could you build muscle at 80 at the same rate of, as someone who's always worked out? But the age doesn't matter. Right. Um, have you, on the ground now, you know, we see these studies, but on the ground level, have you seen this to be true? Oh, it's 100% true. Yeah. And I actually think it's really interesting because untrained individuals in general have a higher potential for muscle growth at the beginning because mm. they haven't been training. Oh. So if you're just starting back, you're going to see results a little bit faster, which can be motivating and good. Yeah. But I... I think it's 100% possible. Yes, as you get older, there can be some anabolic resistance, so you can struggle to uh, put on muscle because you're not as efficient with using protein. However, as long as you eat well and you even do walking sometimes, that can be enough to build muscle. But at the gym, I've seen people at 65 climb the rope for the first time, uh, at 70 climb the rope for the first time, even after like hip surgeries. One of my trainers, because I mentor some trainers online, she actually teaches people who are all over 80, and she has two clients right now. One's 82 and one's 93 and she just literally posted in the group this morning that her 82 year old client was like I had to help my 83 year old cousin today it doesn't have to be like that you can build muscle you can be strong you can be functional you can have quality years to the very last right. year yeah so I, I thought that was very timely I'm like oh she just shared that <laughs> that's information wow. amazing. that's that's actually true because it's like at that age like what do you know some of them are discouraged because it's like okay I'm I'm this Asian I'm too old that's their excuse I think that's true that's just an excuse and that's and, been well that's been our programming the last right. 50 years is like well 60 is too and then right. we started kind of pushing Think back slowly. It. Now we're like, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm sorry, J-Lo. Well, no. yeah. <laughs> it's funny because clients always be like, oh, I heard I shouldn't deadlift. And I'm like, but that's the problem. You're told not to lift heavy. And the second you stop doing those things that kept you young, yeah. 
that's when you're in trouble. Yeah. Because the thing is, is when you're lifting, when you're younger, when you're doing activities where you're constantly challenging your body, and like lifting heavy is always relative. It's based on the reps you do. It's based on, you know, where your set point is right then. So as long as you're lifting heavy, even if that's body weight and challenging your body, you're going to get stronger. And the second you stop challenging yourself, that's like, true. what's the point? It's yeah. like the same thing as mentally. Like if you retire, they say sometimes if you're not staying active and doing things and like learning and mm-hmm. going out with your spouse or whatever, you can sort of decline pretty quickly. So as long as you're staying active and you're challenging yourself. Now, now, where do you find the fearlessness and how do you inspire the fearlessness in someone who's 65 or 70? I imagine for you, it's got to be a little trepidation because they're older, right? And you, know, you want to make sure you're training them in a way that they're not... You don't get oh, no. more nervous oh, no, no. than you're 70 versus... They come in, I'm like, you're 65, you told me you can't do something, go do it right now. We're going to go do it right now. Because I think sometimes that confidence in them that they don't have yet yeah. helps them mm. build it. Because mm. you don't hesitate at all. And I think they're already hesitating and thinking, oh, I can't do this, I'm going to yeah. fall, I'm going to hurt mm-hmm. myself. So when I'm like, oh, go to that pole bar, show me, show me what you can do, we'll, we'll build from there. Yeah. Right. And so that confidence in them really helps. Uh, I think, too, we, we do... We we so think that we hit this age and magically we all of a sudden have all of our abilities taken away from us. And that's <laughs> right. just not all the, the case. I don't yeah. ever want it to be taken away from me. That's <laughs> yeah. what I feel in my heart. I'm like, no. Like, we have this t- small uh, time span these days that for us to be young and youthful and then we have the rest of our lives to be old, I don't accept that. Like, yeah. for me, like, look at, like I said, J-Lo, I watched that movie too. Oh my God, her body is insane. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure, like, it took her, like, you know, obviously she's been fit most of her life, but still... You know, it's all in your mind. Like, I feel like, you know, 60, 70, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they even win Mr. Olympia or one of those <laughs> fitness competitions at that age. Oh, there are yeah. some adults over the age of 65, 70, even 80 that are doing amazing things. Yeah. And I think the thing is remembering that no matter your age, you have to start out based on your ability. Yeah. Right. So people will be like, oh, I'm too old for this, or what age is this for? And I'm like, well, it's not about age with fitness, it's about ability. Mm-hmm. So if you're just starting out, you might be at the same level as a 30-year-old starting out, or a 30-year-old who's injured might be at the same level as an 80-year-old who's like been going for a while. Yeah. It doesn't really matter your age, it's all about ability. So right. if yeah. you're starting back, you just have to make sure to slowly progress yourself. Right. Yeah. And you also, uh, you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned uh, working with older folks. When you're working with someone who's eight years old and getting them into a point where they plateau mm-hmm. because they, they built real quickly, uh, but now they're plateauing, how do you then get them to get over that hump? It's all about changing up the uh, programming. And one of the best things you can do for yourself is not get too drawn into the whole wad mentality, so doing a workout of the day, mm-hmm. but actually tracking your numbers. And so with them, a lot of it is tracking progression, making sure that you know if we see the numbers stall at all, we're changing up the variation of a movement they're doing. So often we think we just need to like completely rewrite our programming, and sometimes it's going from doing you know a conventional deadlift to a single leg deadlift or doing a push up in a different way. And so really with them, it's just changing things up like you would anybody else. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's the same thing at any age when you hit a plateau, right? Right. You yeah. need to make adjustments. Your body is adapted, which is why we get stronger, why we get you know fitter. Yeah. But once you adapt, you have to adjust. Yeah. Is there any average timeline? Like for getting used to a workout and then having to change it or hitting a plateau? I like to change up programming every three weeks. And part of that is a mental thing, too, because I feel like at three weeks people get bored, right? Yeah. You do it the first week, it's hard, so you want to conquer it the next week. The right. second week you do it, and then after the second week you might be like, oh, crap, I don't really want to do any more of these because it's really hard. <laughs> so the third week you're sort of at that mental peak where it's harder to progress after that. So by changing it up at that point, you don't get bored, and you've seen enough progression that you can sort of build on that with a few different movements. Nice. 
Um, one thing uh, I've always focused on is sleep. I'm trying to focus on that a little bit more. Um, and a study kind of came out that highlighted this. They found, but it, it was actually interesting because it only looked at female. Well, it didn't only look at females, but they found it to be statistically significant in females. Where they called it night owl girls from the UK. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> night owl girls. I didn't like the term, but in the JAMA pediatric in the Journal of JAMA Pediatrics, they looked at 804 adolescents, 418 girls, 386 boys. 11 to 16 years old, and they found that those um, in the female population that stayed out later had an association with a higher waist size and higher body fat. Oh. <laughs> and so... And they, they, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I need to sleep earlier. <laughs> and they specifically looked at the social jet lag scores of these teens, and the social jet lag was how much lo- later they were staying out on the weeknights versus the weekdays. And so, you know, if it was like an hour difference or two-hour difference... And they found that that one hour was associated with higher body fat and higher waist size. So I thought that was pretty interesting. They didn't find it statistically significant for boys, but we do know in general sleep plays a huge um, role in our fitness. How do you advise clients um, regarding sleep? And again, you have clients of different ages. I know even just watching my mom, she's gone to sleep at different times (laughs) given as she's gotten older. How does that... um, work in conjunction with fitness. Yeah, as our parents get older, they come and wake us up right. when we're staying at their house, right? Yeah. right. Hey, I'm up now. So yeah. But uh, I think sleep is super important. It's when you recover, right? And it's when you rebuild. So you need to sleep. If your sleep isn't dialed in, you're not going to get the results that you want. Yeah. And the thing is, is it's all so connected. When you work out intensely, you sleep better. When you eat True. well, you sleep better. Yeah. But but when you sleep better, you do all those other things better. Yeah. So my question, and I would have to look at that study more, would be whether or not these other people who are staying out later on the weekends were also engaging in other behaviors that might really be what's impacting them Mm -hmm. because when we're staying out later guess what okay now we're sleepy and we're tired so we're eating other things the next morning when we get up we're eating other things are we staying out later because we're drinking too i mean come on i don't know about you but when people have a few drinks we generally want to eat other foods right right? not to mention the calories from the drinks and then also from the alcohol your recovery is impaired from your workouts so I think it's one of these things that you can't really sort of take sleep and set it on its own, sort of how it's all linked to everything else. But, I mean, I would definitely say there is a good chance, especially with the different hormones that women have, that it could affect us. And absolutely. I mean, for me, my example, I'm a musician, so sometimes I stay, like, late at night, and I'm hungry. And last night I had a little cheat meal, which... (laughs) So, and then, but then again, after that, I'm I'm sleepy now. So, obviously, I think that that also plays along with it, because if you eat late, then you're going to go to sleep with food in your stomach and then you wake up I feel bloated my, my face a little rounder all the salt intake that I've had obviously it's like you know it's gonna um, it's it affects my my physical so I think that's actually there's truth to that of uh, sleeping late and you know having a proper schedule of having proper sleep well first off you look amazing mm-hmm. but yeah. I also think it's something that you can't fully test because people do have different sleep cycles yeah. mm-hmm. there are people that just want to stay up later and there are other people that want to wake up earlier so it's one of those things too that if you're forcing yourself to stay up late when you really are a person that would go to bed early and wake up early that's also going to mess things up as well yeah and for me I was because I was always conscientious about fitness I felt like when I went out and stayed out late I would probably did way more work to overcompensate so right. I was actually fitter because I was going out because the next day I was like oh my god I, I I don't know yeah. how you do it because uh, uh, Shaka, I see him in all these celebrity events all the time, red carpets, and I'm like, dude, and you're still doing your thing, and then you, the next day you're still fit, and then he still shows his abs on his Instagram. I'm like, how do you do well, it? Well, you know, when you, I think when you get to where you want to be, it's easier to maintain. Right. It's really mm-hmm. hard to get because you got to really cut the calories right. and do that. How do you? What's your approach with clients trying to get to that place and over that hill when it seems like 
they got to be there for such a long period of time with their diet, especially. Well, it's it's crazy because when you actually try and lose fat, there is even a dead zone where you hit this point where you don't see any results, right? Mm-hmm. They're occurring. We just don't see them. So yeah. that's where we usually fall off. Yeah. And what I tell clients is I'm like, if you're tracking and logging your food, which I think is the most important thing, yeah. you can see that you're doing the right things. If you're tracking your workouts and you can see the numbers increasing, you have to put your focus on some of those things. Mm-hmm. So if you do those things, the other results will come. And then it's just changing that up just like anything else. Like I like to cycle macro ratios my clients because if you're doing the same meals over and over again if you're doing the exact same ratios you sort of get into a routine and you get bored right but if you're changing something up you're like oh something new even if it's not much new it's still something new and then I do even think with like going out and having fun you're building a lifestyle that you really enjoy so the other part of it the workouts and all that fit in so you can maintain it and Mm -hmm. enjoy it more so I think it all sort of cycles it goes back to the mentality of like oh I want a six pack so I'm going to do all these good things for it oh I want to look good when I go out and flash my abs on Instagram so I'm going to do all these things I have to do. Finding balance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the harder part. Yeah, for, for me, it was all, all about the macronutrients, like you said, because when I realized, what, well, as long as I hit these numbers, I can kind of be where I want to be, then mm-hmm. I just got to make sure I do that regardless of what my activity is or what I'm doing. Uh, how do you get clients to make that connection with their food? I know, especially if they're coming in older, they've had a longer history with food. So how do you get them to change their relationship to food? I mean, I found a great way is logging, right? Because yeah. when you see what you're actually doing, it's really eye-opening. There's all these memes about how when people try the food, right, they see it for the first time, like, yeah. oh, my yeah. gosh, I did that. Because you don't really realize the intake. Like, we're taught about nutrition in school, but we're not actually taught what foods are protein, carbs, and fat. And so I think seeing that and allowing them to make tweaks based on that versus going on to some really strict meal plan or any of those things allow them to make it part of their lifestyle. Hey, all I have to do is tweak it a little bit this week. Yeah. And then on top of that, it's just remembering that it's consistency and not perfection. Yeah. People always tell me, oh, I'm starting over, right? I'm starting over. I'm starting over. On Monday, I'm starting over. I'm like, starting over with what? You didn't die and wait for to be alive again. You're still just continuing on. So it's remembering that it's It's consistency over time. And to get to that point where you maintain, yeah, you have to go through a little bit of struggle sometimes to Mm -hmm. get down. And then when you're first maintaining, it feels like anything you do, like, makes you fluctuate up. But after a time, it gets easier and easier because you built those habits. Like, you don't even realize that your portion sizes have even changed. And even if you build a little bit of muscle, then your body is just actually working a little bit better for you. And if you go into too much of a deficit you can hold back some of the results that you actually can get because especially women will tend to under eat severely and then they don't gain any muscle and it's like well your metabolic rate has now Mm -hmm. adapted and slowed down and now you think you've damaged it but you can repair it by just gaining muscle so fueling your actual workouts yeah that's awesome wow (laughs) and so much knowledge but we also got to talk about how easy it can be to lose weight and one inch of Belly fat can be lost in six weeks just doing seven minutes of exercise. So Seven minutes? Seven minutes of exercise. <laughs> Listen, folks. Listen. I had a program a long time ago that came out with six minutes, six packs. So when I heard this, I was like, yes, prove me right. Um, journal, sports medicine, uh, and physical fitness. So basically they found that seven minutes of working out, they looked at 29 adults. So it wasn't a huge population, but 29 adults. They gave them 10 seconds of rest between these body weight exercises. And after six weeks, they lost two kilos of fat and one inch of belly fat. The caveat was these were people that were sedentary beforehand. But that's as simple as it can be. Is, is this true? Is it, you know, Are you finding this to be true for people that are just starting out? So when you're just starting out, it is much easier because you're increasing your energy expenditure. So when you increase your energy expenditure and you're burning more calories than you're probably consuming because your diet didn't change, yeah, you're going to lose weight. That's the great part about coming back after even an injury or starting out. You're going to have faster results than someone who has trained for a while and is adapted. However, uh, the thing is, is that when you've adapted and you've trained, you can push 
things a little bit more. Yeah. What these untrained individuals have to remember is that they have to start out slowly. If you go zero to 60, you're going to end up injured, and then you're not going to be able to train consistently. Yeah. And there actually have been some really interesting studies on spotlight policies, so spot reduction. Uh-huh. Uh, as a trainer, you know, when I first started out, I'm like, it doesn't exist. Yeah, you right, can't spot reduce. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting to look at some of the studies because, no, you can't spot reduce. Like, you can't go and do a thousand crunches and just expect abs. You have to eat well. You have to do some of the yeah. other things. But it's interesting that by sort of timing some of those things, like the targeted core work, the activation work for your core, before you do compound moves, before you do the cardio, with the right nutrition, you can actually get better results in terms of reducing fat because you mobilize fatty acids from the areas that have been warmed up, and then you utilize them by doing the compound movements and the cardio. So use every tool in your toolbox, right? If you're Even if you're an experienced lifter, if you're getting down to that last little bit of fat, when your nutrition's dialed in and your workouts are dialed in, try doing some spotlight palace stuff by putting the activation beforehand yeah and, and even if you're if you're building muscle technically you're not spot reducing but you know you're going to be building muscle and right. the spot will be reduced right because you're, you're mobilizing fatty acids in the surrounding tissue yeah. when you warm it up by strength training so hey bonus right with <laughs> yes. some weights you know <laughs> that's awesome and of course we've got a little bit of celebrity news today too um kim kleister is coming back um in tennis. So Kim Kleisters wow. is 36 years old. She first started in 1999 at 15 years old. She retired in 2009. She had to have kids. Oh, no, she came back. She retired to, to have kids, came back in 2009, where she won three of her four majors there. And now she's coming back next year. I think probably looking at Serena and some of these other girls that are Venus still, still on tour. That's crazy. Now, as a tennis player, you know, you, I guess you're a little bit more attuned to athletically what it's going to take for her to come back. What? How does that shift over time? And even, I guess, for as a woman to come back after motherhood, and how does that mm-hmm. sh- shift? And with your clients, how do you advise and... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things that I don't think a childbirth is recognized for the trauma that it really is to our body. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that I always tell women, I'm like, when you're coming back, you have to basically repair your mind-body connection. Yeah. So anytime we have an injury, all that does is disrupt the communication between our mind and body. So you start to use other muscles that might not be meant to carry the load to perform a movement. It's why, you know, we hear about glute amnesia or underactive glutes because, you know, our hip flexors are working. We spend so much time, like, seated. So for her, it's going to be making sure she rebuilds her core to come back after childbirth and especially as you get older, things have added up, right? Yeah. We feel like we get injured more when we're older. I'm like, oh, I never got injured when I was younger. Well, I didn't have as many years under my belt of doing the wrong things, right. of sitting at a desk yeah. and all those different things. So as you get older and you come back, you're going to have to be more conscious of the things that have added up up over the years. So yeah. it's going to be hard. <laughs> right. And you made your own transition when you went from tennis to powerlifting. How did you make a transition like that? That's not that's like a very natural right. transition. How, did you have to have a different diet, a different like type of workout? I mean, how did that work? And how old were you at the time? Yeah. So this was uh, right post-college. So I was in college playing tennis and then right post-college, 24, 25, uh, competed in powerlifting. And it was one of those things that in college I really liked the lifting that we had done. We had done more Olymp- Olympic than powerlifting, but I really liked it. And so after college I was actually working out with Ryan at the gym, and I'm like, oh, I like this. You know, this is fun. And so one of the trainers at the gym I first first worked at had it competed. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to work out with you, deadlift, whatever. He's like, oh, you, you can deadlift a decent amount. And so there was a That's powerlifting competition. Insane. And I just started <laughs> training. And I would tell you now that my training was not what I would have someone do because I ended up getting injured after the competition. Uh, so I would do it very differently now if I was to train someone. But it's really about rebuilding that foundation first. We don't think about our feet, our ankles, some of the little like muscle mm-hmm. groups. You know, mm-hmm. we, we go to the point of pain if we do have an injury. We don't think about why that pain might have occurred because of imbalances or immobility elsewhere. Yeah. So it's one of those things that 
that now, looking back at how I would do things differently, I would do a lot more mobility work around the strength training instead of just jumping in and being like, oh, well, the strength training, the cardio is the, the important part, right? I'm sweating. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually the other stuff beforehand that's more important. And, and how, did you, how did that lead you to opening your own gym? So I was training at the gym in Boston. Mm -hmm. I had lived in Boston for eight years. I went to school there, uh, and I moved out here, and I got into functional fitness. And I really like working hands-on with people, seeing all the dysfunctions. I call them my, you know, my weirdos, <laughs> my freaks. But I, I'm a weirdo myself, so it fits. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I really like seeing all the different dysfunctions and helping people move and feel better. So getting to work hands-on with them really helped me build you know, a knowledge base. Like Every time someone comes in, they move differently. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. We're not built Obviously, the same. Yes. Yeah, we don't have the same experiences. Right. So... It was one of those things that I wanted to just work hands-on with people, so I jumped in. I took everything I had in savings and was like, okay, Ryan, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and he was really supportive. He always is. And opened the gym and built it from there. That's amazing. And, and you did it. I was, I was telling Ronella, you kind of did this in reverse because so many people nowadays I meet get big online and then use that to open right. something. But you kind of you opened the brick and mortar and you put everything into it, and then you built an online community. How, how did that naturally sort of occur where people started to coalesce around what you're doing? So two of my first programs, the Booty Burner is like actually like my first program ever. <laughs> I need to Best get into that. Best name ever, yeah. Booty Burner. Yes. It's about glute activation. Yeah. So it's about injury prevention. Because I was having all these clients come in who would have hip and knee pain. And one of my first clients ever in California had to have hip replacement. Mm. So I was trying to figure out how can I help her mm move better so she can come back from her hip replacement and be strong. So the booty burner workouts sort of developed out of that. And then once I put that program together, I was like, well, why not offer it online? So right. some of the programs I used in the gym and the progressions for pull-ups, because I had a whole bunch of female clients come in and say, hey, I want to be able to do a pull-up. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, how can I program for that? So between those two things, I created the I programs and started program. selling them. It's great. I've never done a pull-up in my life. It's super fun. and I'm still working is, on it. <laughs> but it's not just about strength. It's about that mind-body connection. Sometimes we go in and work on trying to build strength. But have you ever done like a back exercise and you only feel your biceps working? Yes. Yeah. Like a lot of people complain about that. It's because they don't actually have the scapular mobility to pull with their back. So it's one of those things that sometimes we're doing all these right things but we're not using the right muscles mm -hmm. so we're not getting the results we want so a lot of the programs are about boiling it down to those basics and building from there yeah actually we i did have a question for you from one of the um listeners how do you work on building your glutes if you have knee trouble so you have a bad knee how do you do that so the best way to work on building your glutes is actually not to do squats, not to do lunges. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. So, so let me explain. Okay, let me explain. Those moves are amazing, yeah. and they're must-do moves because they're compound movements. Your body works in a way where you recruit lots of muscles at the same time. Right. However, if a movement or a mind-body connection or your recruitment pattern is disrupted because of an injury, you need to reestablish that communication. So if you have an injury, most likely that is why that pain, A, and B, the miscommunication, because you've probably been changing your movement patterns to compensate for it, mm -hmm. you need to do isolation moves first to reestablish the mind-body connection. So you have to do the activation. Mm -hmm. So the isolation moves, I know they sound or seem really stupid. They're all the Jane Fonda-esque moves, right? <laughs> like the sideline clams, lifting the leg yeah. with the ankle weights. All those are so key because they have a higher activation percentage. And because they don't have as many muscles working at the same time, it's so much easier to isolate and activate. Mm -hmm. It's easier for you to be like, okay, I think I feel my butt cheek working when you can just sort of feel it because you're only doing a small movement and a very isolated movement. Yeah. So doing those and then you go run and then you do your squats and your lunges. But A, those are good to work around knee pain. Uh, B, depending on the knee pain, you can even reduce flexion. So even doing some isometrics or doing some um, straight leg deadlifts and some of those things that reduce uh, the 
active flexion that we're doing can really yeah. be helpful. But do the activation movements because you'll come back stronger. So when we get back to the running and the deadlifting and all those other things, you'll be stronger. But you can work around. Yeah, and, and do you have something? Oh, no, I was going to ask, like, what's your advice for people who's, like, new to fitness? And, you know, I'm sure, do you think that they're a little bit more challenging to uh, to also teach when it comes to, like, workouts and, and what to do? Obviously, they're intimidated. You know, you were talking about earlier how, like, the older people are also intimidated when doing certain workouts. But what about the people that are new to the fitness world? Like, I mean, I just started really being into the fitness world about three years ago, and I'm sure I get a lot of questions also, like, every all the time like oh how do you stick with it and what did you do because they're intimidated i remember being intimidated when i first stepped into the gym like oh my god all these fit people but one, there's abs right there one of my <laughs> first clients at a redefining strength when i opened she would not get out of the car to come in she was so scared and here she had even met people that went there and she was so scared she would not get out of the car so i had to go out of the car and get me. her i'm just kidding but no but it can yes. be really intimidating because you feel like you don't know what you're doing you feel like right. everybody's looking at you even though they're so concerned with themselves and probably sweating and dying themselves and they don't know <laughs> exactly but it's one of these things that i think it's just about letting them see how much they can really do mm-hmm. so it's about especially as a trainer boiling it down to the basics right. taking it down to a level where they can feel accomplished mm-hmm. so instead of adding weight right away i'm going to teach them basic body weight squat if you need to squat to a bench you're going to squat to a bench mm-hmm. if you need to do the activation you can, right. you're going to do the activation but it's about doing things that allow you to almost feel like you were able to conquer the workout really mm-hmm. easy easily because when you first start out we do want to go zero to 60 um, i mean we, yes. we all know the stories of people who make themselves so sore they can't do anything yeah. else for like right. a month right oh, yes yeah. and the thing is, is if you instead make it so, like I tell clients, I'm like, I want the first workout for you to feel like you could have done more mm. because then you'll be able to come back tomorrow and the next day and we'll be able to build on that. So right. make your workout something you can easily accomplish and you can build from there. Yeah. That is actually true. There's truth to that because I remember when I first started working out, I was sore every freaking day, every day. But, you know, it never stopped, and that's when I tried to start, like, using, like, BCAA, and we'll talk about that, because I want some advice on that, too. Like, what do people use when it comes to, like, when, you know, when working out in the beginning, what do you use naturally to compensate for, you know, the healing process with muscles and stuff? I mean, there's so many options, and that's also why the prehab is so important in the foam rolling. We were talking about your yeah. nice little uh, water bottle foam roller, but yeah. that's why it's so important because you want to do all that sort of rehab prehab to help yourself make sure you're recovering and you want to sleep, you want the nutrition dialed in. Uh, I do have some clients, especially ones who do endur- endurance sports, do BCAAs or right. consume them. I don't personally. Um, I'm all about whole natural foods as right. much as possible. I like the protein powder sometimes because it makes it easy. Mm-hmm. Whatever makes your diet easy, so easy. You can yeah, do, it, right? do it, right? You know, that's going to get you results long term. It's going to be a balance um but it's just about starting back slow and it is about knowing that at points when you do new stuff you're going to get sore right but the thing is is people often base uh how good their workout was on how sore they are and it's not Mm. at all related soreness is completely about how great your recovery was your genetics even can impact it and then simply doing new stuff so if i went tomorrow and did something that i haven't done in a really long time i'm going to be really sore from that even though i might have lifted more weight with another movement it's just because new can create that new muscle tissue damage even that can make us sore right yeah, but when it comes to recovery because i'll admit you know i've used a roller i'll use like sometimes they have the ball and you do this thing I, it feels kind of like painful but i don't know if i necessarily feel better the next day i don't know if i'm using it in the right way is it supposed to be 30 minutes before the workout after the workout should i be doing it once a week like what are the rules or how am i supposed to even tell from my body like what's right. appropriate because i, I I'm just lost when it comes to that because it's actually painful usually at the time I'm doing it too. Yeah. So if you're using the foam roller and you're like, this the entire time, it's yeah. probably going to be not beneficial because yeah. you're completely mm. tensing your central nervous system. And oh. the whole point of using it is like a massage, right? If you were tensing against the masseuse the entire time, they'd be like, 
This is not going to be yeah. beneficial for you. So if you do foam roll, you need to make sure that you relax. And you want to hold on the spot because basically it's self-myofascial release. Uh, foam rolling helps the muscle relax and release itself through autogenic in- inhibition, which means that by holding on the muscle, you're helping the muscle say to itself, okay, I'm going to relax, and then it'll relax. If you roll really quickly, it's not going to be right. beneficial. Right. So A, you have to hold. B, there are so many mixed studies on this because I don't think we can get a very isolated yeah, study on it. Hard, yeah. um, but it's been shown to reduce our uh, sort of how pain is perceived by the mind. So whether or not it's actually you're recovering faster or just simply the fact that you're sort of shutting off that communication and your your body's like, oh, I can push a little bit harder and your mm-hmm. mind's not registering the pain, that could be really where the benefit is. Um, but I always have clients do it before because what we want to do is we want to relax anything that might be tight from sitting, from the daily postures that we do, and then we stretch and activate after uh, doing dynamic stretching so that you actually don't have any impact to your power. But you just hold on it for 30 seconds till the muscle relaxes a little bit and you use it prior to your workout so that I use the example example all the time. Uh, like when you stretch a mm-hmm. muscle with a knot, it's like stretching a, a shoelace with a knot, right? right? It just gets tighter. It doesn't actually go away. Right. So you want to do the foam rolling beforehand so you make sure that knot is not in the shoelace. Now, if you're having like a general workout, are we foam rolling the entire body, just the lower back, just mm-hmm. like what we're working out that day or yeah? I always have people do the areas that for them are the problem areas. So if yeah. you sit at a desk, there are some common areas. You want to roll your lats, your chest, your hip flexors especially. Um, if you wear high heels, you're going to wear roll out your calves, your feet too. So I always have them go to their problem areas. If they have an injury, they go to the, those areas as well. And then it's based on what you're working. So you want to make sure that if you're doing overhead pressing, that you work on things that are going to mobilize your shoulders so that you can press overhead correctly. Okay. If you're going to do deadlifts, you want to make sure that your hips are mobile, that your spine is able to extend properly. So you always want to focus your foam rolling on on things that'll be beneficial so you can get more out of your workout. And it doesn't have to only be done before. During breaks, if someone isn't feeling a glute work or they aren't feeling, you know, one, they're feeling achy in their shoulder, I might have them roll out in between. Oh, okay. And a question. Yeah. I'm sure people who is new to the fitness world, like just like myself, do you still get um, sore? I mean, with oh, 100%, workout, yeah. Like anytime I change a new workout. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anytime you change up a progression, you're going to get sore. So I'll do the three week progression and then I'll switch it up. And I have to be careful when I switch it up because sometimes I'll feel really good and I'll be like, well, I was beast moding out weight on this, so I should be able to do this. But I have to remember <laughs> it's new. And if I haven't done the movement for a while, that it could impact me a lot more. And I don't right. want my other training that week to be, you know, sort of lowered because of doing something new. Right. So I always make sure that the first week I regress a little bit to push back through. But yeah, I get sore 100%. So when sometimes. you were doing the transition from the tennis to uh, weightlifting or deadlifting, that was a different type of workout, obviously. And then you were sore in different parts of the muscles, mm-hmm. correct? Oh, and then I was also not doing the proper prehab. So learn, <laughs> learn learning. from uh, my experiences. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would actually seek the soreness. Like I learned the hard way mm. that soreness was not the best indicator that you were getting worked, right. that it could be a sign of overtraining, that it could be mm-hmm. a sign of lots of negative things. So mm-hmm. I don't seek that out. I watch my, my numbers on paper, and if my numbers are going up, I'll continue with something. If they aren't going up or I'm not reaching a goal, I might switch something up. Yeah, And then with all the new age stuff, there's cryotherapy, there's red right. light therapy, infrared light. Do you have a preferred thing, or do you think it's all gimmicky, or what's your, what's your take, take on that? On that? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't think any of it is really gimmicky. I think that what's going to work for you is what you believe will work for you. Mm -hmm. So whatever is going to be sort of therapeutic for you. So if going in and doing cryotherapy is therapeutic for you and your mind is like, oh, this is the best thing ever, you're going to get results from it. Mm -hmm. So if you're told that foam rolling is good, you're going to get better results from it than if you're told foam foam rolling is bad, right? It's all sort of that preconditioned stuff too. So mentally, if you get relaxed by going on a beach walk, that's going to be great for you. Mm -hmm. If you get relaxed by doing red light therapy or by foam rolling or by going to get a massage, whatever it is, 
do that thing because that will help you. Yeah. I tried cryotherapy for the first time this week, by the way. Oh, yeah. It was really like, it was mind over matter, just put it that way. My skin was just like, I was like, I can do this. Other people have done it. I can do this. Yeah. It was just three minutes. I can do this. And then I had EDM playing in my ear, my headphones. So I was just fist pumping. It definitely it's helps like, her body fat. I, I've, I've found it helps her body. Have you done cryotherapy? I haven't, actually. Yeah. That's been one of those things that I've just, no, I will, I'll, I'll go in there and I'll be like, the entire yeah, yeah, time. And so I won't relax. I'm yeah. not going to lie yeah. to you. I still don't know like exactly what it was supposed to do to me. But I mean, it felt good after. And then. I don't know what else was. Well, it, it, it should have. Ra- well, it definitely will raise your metabolism because your body's working hard to keep you warm and to get you mm-hmm. warm afterwards. And for like about right. twenty four hours afterwards, your body's still like, okay, we gotta get warm, we gotta get warm. Right. So at, at the very least, you'll lose some weight, or you know, you'll burn more calories that right. day, and then you might have inflammation response. You know, if you had, if you were sore from the gym, then it'll help with you getting yes. cold. Yes, absolutely. It's interesting, too, with some of those therapies, the uh, thermic effect or, like, the calorie burn effect that you might get from them is going to be greater in lean individuals. So if you're already lean and you're trying to get those last few pounds off because you're competing, whatever else, you might want to try and experiment with some of those because it could be really good. Well, yeah, Yeah. and the muscle is just, like, working. Yeah, Yeah. it kills me every time I do, but I think it's helping. So How long do you do it? It's it's normally just three minutes, right? That's a max. Yeah, three minutes and 30 seconds. So, yeah. Minus three, just three minutes. And you're okay. Like, the last minute, you're... How do you feel when you do that? I just focus on the result. I'm okay. just like, this is going to produce a good result, Smart. so that's what I'm going to do. Well, now I'm going to have to try it. Yeah. Yes, have, to try. have you done an ice bath or anything like that? Oh, I've done plenty of ice baths. Oh, so See? It's like yeah, plenty of ice baths. So it's like that, but better. So yeah, because I, I will never do an ice bath. Ooh. Ever. That's See, crazy. I don't mind the ice bath. Cool. The, the uh-huh. hot, cold showers are what really get me. Ooh, yeah. Okay, when you do like the hot, cold shower, especially even just a cold shower, because it hits you in different spots, you don't ever adapt. At yeah. least in the right. ice bath, you get in, you adapt, you're fine, right? Yeah. Things sort of go numb, but... I can't even uh, imagine that. For you, how long? Were you jumping in a hot shower and then a cold shower, or were you gradually I just, reducing? No, I was changing it, just back and forth. Okay. And then, oh, or, back and forth. Yeah, so you can change it back and forth. Holy and crap. I suppose, actually, I do like, I like this. Uh, Especially, I did a uh, spin-a-thon when I was in Boston and working there, and we did spinning for two days straight, which I don't even oh, know so now. Oh, so I'm sure what? the ice bath yeah. was. Oh, that was necessary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, A, sitting on the seat for those two oh, days yes. and going back the second day. I can't even imagine. Knees, I needed it. That That's might be the crazy. only time I would enjoy an ice bath. Question, though, does that affect you know some people like oh you can't you know do you get a cold or a fever doing stuff like that because you know people say oh you can't get cold outside when you sweat and you know you, you, you know that that doesn't affect it's a virus it. yeah so yeah. you can't get a cold from being cold you know unless you come in contact with the virus you got know? it yeah. i think a lot of times there's a lot of other things that go with that where our immune system has been compromised for other reasons when yeah. we've gone outside right. and then we're really cold when we go outside or maybe we're standing outside in the snow to right. go to a club or whatever else right, it is right. you know yeah. so but no, there's no. Okay, because, I mean, yeah. that, that's my, one of my concerns because, like, I mean, obviously I'm a singer and I like to keep my throat warm. Well, uh, yeah. So when I'm going outside, I don't want to be too cold. Because and then I'm, mentally you'll, because you will feel the physiological effects of the throat. And right. you're like, oh, oh no, it's beginning. Right. Yeah, yeah. Plus how much of it is stress. And, like, stress can lower your immune system. So it's one of those mm. things that if you're stressing about that, that could be why. There's yeah. so many things that are interlinked that it's it comes down to our mind a lot. Do, do you have, like, an immune system diet and things that you focus on, especially with an old population mm-hmm. um, I, I think you want to get more superfoods in there yeah. <laughs> so superfoods are always an interesting thing for me because yeah. I think there are lots of different superfoods out there and really it's about hitting those macros overall nutrition uh, I do think it's about eating enough a lot of times too yeah. 
But I just tell clients, you know, cut out the processed food as much as you can. That is where sleep and stress and all those things come in. It's an interesting thing when you talk about diet, too, because I feel like so often we get so strict with it that then that creates more stress in our life. And the last thing you need is more stress because that actually is bad for your health. So it's one of those things that sometimes indulging in a pizza, even if you know it's not good or you shouldn't, is probably better if you have the right mindset and you're having fun with friends than trying to eat your chicken and broccoli when you're out at a meal. That's true. No, seriously, though. Every time I eat now, I'm like, this is not going to make me fat. And it's just gonna be fine. It's gonna go down my system and it's gonna be fine. And it's been working so far. But it's about the guilt too. Like sometimes it's not even the indulgence. Like people have a cookie. Oh, I ruined the day. Really? You didn't ruin the day. You know, all you did was have that indulgence. And by feeling guilty about it, you're gonna destroy far more days than just having a cookie. So have the cookie, enjoy it. If you had seven, enjoy them and just move forward. Because if you stress, the more that your body's not gonna burn it off. That's so true. And we have our Fit Club Five coming up where we're gonna ask you five rapid fire questions. But before we do that, I want to ask you, stress-wise, what is your, you know, mm. when you when you are trying to cope, what is the, is it yoga, uh, what is your mechanism that you say, look, if you need to stress and or de-stress and not worry about the cookie, what what can you do to cope with that, you know? Be active. Go find something fun. Go for a walk. The thing is, is there's so many activities we can do with family and friends, and we don't have enough time with them. Get Mm. off your phone. Go for a walk. Be very present in the moment, and that's that's great. I mean, for me, it's even going and working out. I I love working out. I put my phone on the side. How do you de-stress? Oh, yeah. I put my phone on the side. I go and work out. I put my headphones on. Uh, We have a dog, Kiwi. I put her in the crate. Let her just watch me work out, (laughs) de-stress. But it's just, you know, taking a second for yourself, even, like, simply breathing. We don't ever really just sit here and just... Breathe deeply. Anytime I get stressed, like even this morning, I was like doing something new and I was like, oh. And so just taking deep breaths uh, immediately calm me down. Yeah. Before you're going to sleep, just deep breaths. So it's mm-hmm. like you have like a bag of coping mechanisms and you just use them. Yeah, when whatever it's you need. Yeah. And, and, and different, different people need different things because yeah. we stress in different ways. So it, it's yeah. about learning what works for you and experimenting with a few different things, no yeah. matter how hokey they might even feel. Yeah. And, and before we get into Fit Club 5, I have just another personal question. You got so much information. Um, <laughs> so for me, I started doing some American Ninja Warrior like training, and your gym has sort of got that sort of feel. What yeah. I've, I've always been focused on injury prevention. That's been my number one thing when I started lifting weights, um, was doing injury prevention. And I, and I found when I started training with these guys, it really has made me very risk averse. I was just afraid to jump onto things. I was afraid to just like get up there on the pegboard and just jump up to it. Um, when before I would just do that because I didn't really care about injury as much. Hmm. Um, how do you maintain that level of and curiosity, adventure, or whatever you call that thing that makes you jump onto something, but fearless. also be, yeah, that fearlessness, but also <laughs> yes. have that balance of like, I don't want to fall and break mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, it's funny how much jumping up to a bar does scare you the first time you do it. Because yeah. you're like, okay, I'm, I'm jumping up. If I don't make it, I'm just mm-hmm. going to come right back down to where I was. Right. But it's because we don't do that. Like, think about it. The last time you probably did that was when you were a kid. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when you're a kid, you're, you're too stupid to realize that if you fall on your head, it's going to hurt, right? <laughs> you just do right. it and you don't yeah. care. But as you get older, you realize those things hurt. So for me, a lot of times it was at first even putting down safety measures. So having a lot of the pads around yeah. so that when I did skip mon- monkey bars and mm-hmm. I fell on my back, I was just kind of like... Oh, that was uncomfortable, but (laughs) nothing hurt. My pride, but you know, that was it. But it's one of those things that I think, too, it's also breaking it down. So with a lot of clients the first time on the pegboard, I'm not going to have them move the pegs. They're not going to be able to, but I'm just going to have them hang. You Mm. have to conquer each little phase is sort of building up to the skill. So Mm. it's conquering the fear in parts so that it doesn't feel overwhelming and makes you freeze. So if they're going to start with the monkey bars, they're just going to hang at the beginning. I'm going to hold their feet even if I need to or keep (laughs) the bench underneath them so they can walk as they hang. But it's just breaking it down. Nice. Well, hopefully you won't be too overwhelmed by our, our Fit Club 5. 
five, five rapid-fire questions so the viewers can get to know you a little bit better. Yes. So, here we go. Last person you texted. Probably Ashley. Huh? Dream dinner guest. Oh, goodness. Um, alive or dead? Alive or dead. Come back to that one. <laughs> <laughs> last meal. Last meal. We went out, to, or last meal I get to have, or last meal I ate? Last meal you ate. Last meal I ate, we went out to a barbecue restaurant last night. It was Ooh, really good. Last, Slab. Last night? Yeah. What? Yeah. Favorite <laughs> junk food? Well, I only had like coffee this morning. Uh-huh. Fasting. What? Ju- favorite oh. junk food? Reese's. Reese's. Okay. Oh, oh I like that. Peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. That's a good if one. If you were in death row, what would you be? What would be your last meal? Okay, now that's a good question. So we talk about this a lot. I guess we're planning <laughs> to go on death row. But uh, I would go to Casuelas, which is a Mexican restaurant in Palm Springs, and I would mm. have their crispy ground beef tacos and chips and guacamole and margarita. Yeah. And you, 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 you wouldn't Why? go there. Wow. You get it delivered to death row. Wow. You wouldn't go. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They must have some really good tacos. It's oh, Taco Tuesdays today. Mm-hmm. Going back, dream dinner guest. I still don't know that one. That's really, really hard. Like, um, oh, Jamie uh, Eason. I'm going to go with that oh, because she wow. was my idol when I first started out lifting. The OG. And yeah, she, I mean, she's gorgeous. But she has such an inspirational story herself with getting into fitness that mm. I just respected her so much. I, I put her picture actually on my fridge. It was kind of creepy, but it was, it was my inspiration when I first got into it. Oh, wow, awesome. Wow, that's awesome. amazing. And that's it. That's all yeah, the questions we have for today. <laughs> and you were fasting today, you said? Yes, I, I like on actually doing. Uh, yeah, I do oh, intermittent purpose. fasting. Yeah, okay, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I like the sixteen eight eating window a lot of times. Oh. I find that it actually makes me more in tune with my body when I do it. Yeah, I, I find sixteen I hours also that. like if I've cheated, then that's like the number that hits me, and then I can like I didn't really cheat then if I, I wait it, that long. Yeah, I did it twice last week. It worked. Yeah. It's good. As long mm-hmm. as you're not forcing it and you're not right. binging after, it can be a really nice way to sort of reset. Yeah, that's amazing. Now you can go eat. What's the next I, meal? Oh, now I have to go to someplace good. You guys have to give me advice. And we'll Talk to right. <laughs> Oh, my God. Thank you so much for joining us. We, we've just learned so much. You're like a bastard right. of knowledge. Amazing. amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so good. Um, Ronella, where can they find you online? Well, Ronella Rocks, R-A-N-E-L-L-A-R-O-C-K-S, and all platforms of social media and Corey Lefko with Redefining Strength where can, where can they find you? Redefining Strength everywhere <laughs> RedefiningStrength.com if you want more information because I didn't share enough <laughs> yes <I> know. <laughs> right we have so much but more questions but she does have plenty like so many yes. videos guys check out her YouTube uh, again you guys can find me on Shaka Strong Twitter, Instagram and Snapchat and we will see you guys next week and we'll be at her gym visiting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see you guys out. yes <laughs> On behalf of our BHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Check out our Black Hollywood Live YouTube page for even more great programming and amazing content. And be sure to subscribe and like our channel when you do. I'm your BHL host, Nakia Monet, and you can find me on all social media at Kiki Boom Boom or at Black Hollywood Live. Black Hollywood Live, Hollywood Redefined.